Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Kyle, we back at it again, man. The NBA playoffs is in full swing. Yep. We got a couple playing tournament games to go over first, but then after that, bro, we're going straight into the first round playoff matchups in the NBA. Kevin, getting excited. You know, this is going to be the next two months. We're going to be focusing on the NBA playoffs uh, basically to what? June. Middle, middle, middle of June, second, third week of June. So guys should definitely get ready it's gonna be a fun one i know it will be for us and uh hopefully the uh, nba playoffs live up to expectations this year because we got some pretty good matchups to go over granted still got some play tournament games to go over but let's get ready it's about to be a fun one but kev i will go over the agenda today it's gonna be pretty straightforward it's mostly gonna be nba we'll talk a little bit about the playing tournament games the ones that are still yet to be played are the Last two games that are going to lead to whoever's going to claim the A seed in the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. So pretty much we'll just go in order the way that the games were played. And then we will preview the final two playing tournament games with the Bulls in the Heat. That game takes place on Friday night at 7 o'clock. And then the playing tournament wraps up with the Thunder and the T-Wolves at 9.30 on Friday night. And then after that, we will discuss some of the comments that CJ McCollum made. Uh, when the Pelicans were eliminated from playoff contention after losing to the Thunder on Wednesday night. Um, he seemed to take a subtle dig at Zion Williamson, but he could have been focusing more just about the culture within the New Orleans Pelicans organization as far as the team is concerned. It was really kind of going after just cultural standards that the team probably needs to abide by. Basically, it's like the training is not there, guys not getting the proper sleep, just little things that CJ McCollum was talking about post game after losing to the Thunder is something that we'll go over later in the episode. And then we're actually going to round out the episode with some MLB talk. Uh, look, we got a 13 game win streak from the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays are off to the best start in MLB history. I should actually rephrase that. They are tied for the best start in MLB history with a 13 game win streak. They have won all four of their series so far in complete series sweeps. Uh, they just finished off the Red Sox in a four-game sweep at home in Tampa. Uh, I believe that series finished up on Thursday, which is today when we're, when we're recording. But nonetheless, we'll dive into that. And I will make one mention of um, some NBA topics. Uh, we will go over some of pretty much the playoff games that we have listed right now. Like I said, we still got the Thunder and the Timberwolves and the Bulls and the Heat to play in the playing tournament. But Kevin and I will just kind of do a general summary of how we think these first-round playoff matchups are going to be and how we think uh, each team will do in those first-round matchups. So without further ado, you guys, let's dive into these playing tournament games that we've seen so far. The first one being the Atlanta Hawks and the Miami Heat. So... This was one of those games, Kev, where we completely got wrong. We picked the Miami Heat to win this game, 
And Kev, they just fell. They fell flat, dude. There's no other way to put it. The Atlanta Hawks won this game from beginning to end. They won this game by the score of 116 to 105. An 11-point win on the road for Atlanta means that they clinched the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. So they are already in the playoffs. They don't have to worry about a potential last play-in tournament game that would get them the last seed in the Eastern Conference. But just looking at how Atlanta played, Trey Young dropped 25 points. Sadiq Bay dropped 17. DeJounte Murray dropped 18. This was a well-rounded effort from the Hawks. And when it came to the Heat, the Heat just couldn't get shots. Jimmy Butler was missing layups. They just weren't getting good contributions uh, from role players across the board. And the Heat, like I said earlier, they will have a playing tournament game where we'll figure out whether or not that they get that last seed in the Eastern Conference uh, to make the playoffs. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, what did you think about the Atlanta Hawks' win in Miami to get that seven seed in the Eastern Conference? The first thing I have to circle is the total rebounds between both teams. The differences, it was just beyond drastic. As a team, Atlanta had 63 rebounds. Miami only had 39. And what's wild is Miami shot more efficiently from three and the free throw line, and they still lost this game. Outside of Jimmy Butler going for, if I'm not mistaken, 21 points. Tyler Hero had 26. Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry, excuse me, was the savior of this game. He had 33. I think the last time Kyle Lowry had like 30-something points was probably when he was in Toronto. I mean, he's been lackluster. He hasn't been performing. He has gotten DNPs. He's been injured. He's been overweight, lost weight. I mean... That's the last person I would have expected to keep Miami in this game. And he was the one who was the spark plug and focal point of this entire team. I mean, Jimmy Butler was 6 of 19. He had one of those nights where he just could not get it going from the field. And he turned the ball over a couple of times. He had a negative 10 in the plus minus category. So usually the guy that's the catapult, the catalyst for the Miami Heat team on both the offensive and defensive end. He just could not get it going. And then, I mean, Bam Adebayo, he was 5 of 12. You would expect a little bit better or a little bit more from your second, if not third best player, depending on who you ask. And he wasn't really able to do much because Clint Capella killed him on the boards. Clint Capella had 21 rebounds. He had eight offensive by himself. So when you really look at it, I think the main culprit is Miami just came out flat, wasn't able to knock down shots early. Atlanta got into a rhythm. Trey Young was finally able to shake that narrative of not being able to play against Miami well. He went for 25, 8, and 7. A very efficient night for him as well. And again, the biggest number, the biggest category to, to really look at is just the rebounds, man. Miami was beat up on the boards. And Clint Capella, man, he didn't have to score a whole lot, but he dominated on the glass. And that's how they won this game. Kev, this one's pretty simple for me. Just Atlanta got off to a hot start and they never looked back. I mean, Kev, they almost tried 40 points in the first half. I mean, if you're in a situation where you're on the road and, you know. You mean first quarter? First half. Uh, the first quarter, excuse me. Thank you. In the first quarter, they were sensational. They outscored the Heat by nine points. And then they continued it in, into the second quarter where, you know, at halftime, I mean, the Heat were not out of the game, but it just, it felt like the Heat couldn't really make any sort of adjustment to get back into it. And once the second half happened, the Hawks were basically just toe-to-toe -to -toe with them the entire time. And, you know, this is one of those games where Kevin and I, we were talking about this game 
uh, before it ended up playing out. We thought that the Heat would win this game fairly convincingly. We just thought that Jimmy Butler would be able to step up and make some critical shots and bring out that playoff Jimmy aura that we've seen in the past time and time again. But like Kev said, it just never happened. Jimmy was missing some shots, couldn't get into a rhythm. And it's one of those games where you look back, and I think even Jimmy would probably agree that just didn't have his best effort. But this was an impressive performance from Atlanta. Like Kev said, the one thing that I would take away from the Hawks' performance just was their rebounding game overall. When you almost double up the opposing team in rebounds, you're just going to run away with that game as far as I see. And it also kind of leads to the fact that Atlanta was playing good defense across the board, especially when you have almost a 20 to 25 point advantage in the rebounding category. Tells me that Atlanta was playing solid defense. Miami couldn't get to a rhythm. And even despite the fact that Miami had some chances to get back into this game, Atlanta was just not having it whatsoever. So as far as I see it, you know, I still believe that the Heat have a chance to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference to get that last seed uh, at that eight spot. But it is going to be tricky. And if they play in any way, shape, or form like they did against Atlanta at home, they could potentially be out of the playoffs and miss it entirely. So overall, Atlanta played a great game. They just got great contributions across the board. And we'll see what happens with the Heat. It's going to be interesting to see how this final playing tournament game for the Heat goes. Miami can't afford to come out flat in this next game because obviously it's a win or go home. But one team that solidified their seeding in the postseason is going to be Kyle's Lakers. So the LA Lakers played against the Minnesota Timberwolves and LA held on despite having a struggling fourth quarter for both teams. It was kind of painful to watch, obviously more so for Minnesota. But, you know, Anthony Davis gets bailed out in overtime by Dennis Schroeder. You know, obviously the Lakers are able to capitalize and solidify a win, clinching the seventh seed. So, Kyle, what are your thoughts on L.A. moving on despite having that uh, that horrid fourth quarter? This was not a good game from the Lakers. Granted, it was enough to get by the Timberwolves, but just generally speaking, the Lakers should have won this game probably by about 10 to 15 points, especially with all the drama that the Timberwolves were going through before this game with Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson getting in a scrap on the sideline in the last game of the regular season. Rudy Gobert didn't even play. Um, not only that, you had Jaden McDaniels break his hand where he punched a wall after he got tossed out of the game. You know, it just seemed like everything was going against the Timberwolves. But I have to say, Minnesota showed up in the first half and really gave it to the Lakers throughout the majority of this game. I will say that the Lakers had a more impressive showing in that third quarter compared to what they were displaying in the first half. But like Kev said in the lead up that that fourth quarter was tough to watch. And, you know, I think it's a fair assessment to say that, you know, when it came to the Lakers in the fourth quarter, they just didn't show up. They scored 19 points in the fourth quarter. The only thing worse about that quarter as a whole was the fact that the Timberwolves scored 12 points and had Anthony Davis not gotten that foul call, with about a second and a half left to go in the fourth quarter, the Timberwolves could have scored nine points in the fourth quarter. Just overall, just both teams were not playing well whatsoever in that fourth quarter, but the Lakers did enough uh, to be able to propel themselves to have a pretty solid overtime to get this home win. But, you know, when you're looking at the Lakers, this should have been a more convincing win. Granted, 
you know, I thought LeBron did his thing. I thought Anthony Davis was solid. They got great contributions from Dennis Schroeder and Roy Hachimura. But one of the people that fell short in this game, as far as I see it, was D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell played 24, 25 minutes in this game, scored two points. He was one of nine from the field. You cannot have that in one of the most critical games that the Lakers have played the entire year. So, granted, the Lakers did enough to get by the Timberwolves to clinch this seventh seed in the Western Conference, and now they'll go up against the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round of the playoffs. But if they play anything like they did against the Timberwolves going into that Grizzly series, it could be a tough hill uh, for the Lakers to climb in that first-round matchup just because Memphis is far more athletic. They're younger. They seem to be a more gritty. They seem to be a more gritty team, but the Lakers got to shake off that poor performance in the fourth quarter, and they really got to ramp it up going against the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies it's going to be a tough out for the Lakers. But you know, you got LeBron James, you got Anthony Davis. This team is relatively healthy. The Lakers have a chance to potentially knock off the Grizzlies, but it's going to be a lot of work. They just can't show uh, what they did against the Timberwolves going into that Grizzlies series because it will not work out for them in the long run. That's just how I see it. I'm definitely more in panic mode for the Lakers just because, similar to D'Angelo Russell having a bad game, Anthony Edwards had an awful game. Apparently, he was playing with a shoulder injury. So when you combine that with missing Rudy Gobert, obviously missing McDaniels, you're talking about a, a completely different game if players are available and healthy. And then, yes, LeBron James scored 30, but he had a negative 14 in the plus-minus scale. That means pretty much at every attempt, someone was scoring on him. He played little to any defense. He stepped up when he needed to in one of the final possessions in the fourth quarter, if not overtime. There was kind of like one of those sequences where Braun had to really step up and press against somebody, and he really didn't let them get any room or space. But outside of that moment or that possession, uh, LeBron James was relatively useless on the defensive end. Anthony Davis didn't really start coming into his own until that third quarter. But when you really look at statistically what happened with the Lakers, I mean, Malik Beasley had five. Troy Brown had two. Obviously, you know, Gabriel's a backup center. He's not going to get a lot of minutes. He only played two minutes. He had zero points. D'Angelo Russell had two points. Jared Vanderbilt had zero points. So all of this offense came from Schroeder, Braun, and mainly Anthony Davis. Hachimura had 12. Obviously, Austin Reeves had 12. But they shot 41% from the field. And they shot 32% from three. So the Lakers got to find a way to clean this up because they also had 20 turnovers. Very sloppy basketball. Very bad defense. And again... If Minnesota isn't bailed out with the foul call, this game would have ended in four, but it really left a bad taste in my mouth because it looked like once Minnesota got going, once they got hot, it looked like LA kind of took their foot off of the, the gas pedal. Like, man, it looks like they're blowing us out. Like, it, it almost looked like they gave up going into halftime, like not really caring. Yes, they were able to weather the storm and outscore them in the third quarter, and by they, I mean the Lakers were able to outscore the Timberwolves 30-26. to 26. But that fourth quarter for both teams was just very sloppy, very disorganized, and both teams did not look efficient. Thankfully, L.A. was able to put it away in overtime. But like Kyle said, going into this younger series, going into this more athletic series with this team known as the Grizzlies, with Jaron Jackson Jr. being the defensive player of the year, odds like uh, John Moran is back in this lineup full swing. Obviously, you have Desmond Bain and a number of other players that have shown that they can play efficient and very well in the postseason like they did last year. The Lakers are in for one one hell of a series, and they need to find a way to turn this play around and build off of this and say, hey, that's not Lakers basketball. I know damn well LeBron James and the rest of that, that veteran leadership that's in that locker room is saying, we may have gotten away with one, but this is not how we're going to play. But like I said, the Lakers got a good win, thankfully, but in terms of 
how that is going to turn out to be in the next series is yet to be determined. Yeah, this is one of those scenarios where I look at with the Lakers. They got business done, but man, it was sloppy. And I will say, so I'm kind of looking. To, I'm kind of looking at this at a half glass full perspective. They were the only team, the only home team, to win the playing tournament game that they were oh, wow. playing in. They were the only one. Three out of the four teams that won, they were the road team. So, with the Lakers being the only home team to win that play-in tournament game, that's a little bit of a silver lining for them. But, it, bro, they could have looked a lot better, especially with all the drama that Minnesota's been going over the last Back. couple days. This should have been probably a 10- to 15-point win for the Lakers. But Agreed. You know, it's good enough, but you can't just do good enough against the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are going to present a much bigger challenge for the Lakers and the Timberwolves. And if that play shows up once again against the Grizzlies, it could be a five-game series for the Lakers going against them. The Grizzlies could really just wipe the floor with them as far as to see it, especially with them being a younger, more athletic team. It's just honestly that simple. But with that said, we are going to transition to our next playing tournament game. That will be the Bulls and the Raptors game. Kev, we were sweating this one out a little bit. We did pick the Bulls to win this game. Uh, the Raptors got up to a very hot start. At one point, they were up 19 points in this game, but the Bulls rally in the second half to win the game by the score of 109 to 105. This is a huge win for them. It keeps their playoff hopes alive. Um, they will have another playing tournament game to dictate to dictate their future on whether or not they get the A seed in the Eastern Conference. But Kev, let's just go over this game. So let me kick this one to you. What did you think about the Bulls getting this massive road victory against the Raptors to keep their playoff hopes alive? All I got to say is, man, Kyle and I were texting this whole game back and forth. Bro, at one point, I texted Kyle like, bro, I can't believe we're about to go one for two with our picks. Like, this is crazy. Like, Chicago really shit the bed. And something clicked in Zach Levine's head to pop off in the second half to where he ended the game with 39 points. 39 points. The Bulls in the fourth quarter scored 37. But as exciting as that was, as as dramatic as it was for them to come back in playoff fashion on the road, the biggest narrative here is DeMar DeRozan's daughter and causing the Toronto Raptors to miss 18 free throws. The Raptors went 18 of 36 from the free throw line, in which obviously solidified their fate in losing this game. Yes, they were outscored in the second half completely, but when you're talking about capitalizing on simple, easy points where all you have to do is make your free throws, it doesn't look like they were able to I guess, control the pressure, ignore the pressure, deal with the pressure. Or DeMar's daughter has just an absolute ear-pitching, destructive voice because she was screaming at the top of her lungs every single time the Raptors shot a free throw. I don't know how she wasn't removed from the game or how somebody didn't say anything because when you hear the replay, when you see the videos of how low she got into the person's ear behind her or in front of her, I, I would have said to her, like, can, please, can, can you scream in another direction? But again, alas, that's neither here nor there. DeMar DeRozan was frustrated early. He was in foul trouble. He wasn't able to really get to do anything. Vucevic had a couple moments, but he was shooting ineffectively from the field early on as well. And it really just came down to Zach Levine kind of willing the Bulls to win. And obviously, you also have to deal with Patrick. Patrick Williams was just a spark plug. He may have only had 10 points. He may have shot 4 of 12 from the field. But he had one of those rim-rattling dunks on the baseline that sparked a big, probably motivational I guess, swing 
in favor of the Bulls. They were able to carry that on. And again, led by Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, they were able to capitalize on this win. But let's not ignore that Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, also put on a show. Siakam had 32 points. Obviously, Van Fleet had 26. They just couldn't get it done at the free throw line. So overall, this is probably the best game of the entire weekend, in my opinion. Uh, or should I say of uh, the playing week? But we got another game to talk about. But overall, the Bulls move on. Super, super happy. And Patrick Beverly stays undefeated in the playing. Bro, I didn't know low key that you were a Bulls fan. I, I I know you've always been a Mass fan, but I know I know you like some Zach Levine and I love Zach, bro. And he, it was and just he cool to see hoop. Yeah, he popped off, dude. His bro, remember that? I think he caught it along the right side of the court, kind of just was just dribbling in rhythm, and then just pulled up. That was a big time three. I forget. It was, was in a transition, second. actually. He just yeah. ran down, pulled from the right wing, and just it and, splashed. They had to call timeout. It. Yeah. But, I mean, I got to say, dude, like you said, the Raptors were in full control in the first half. They were up double digits going into halftime. I believe they were almost up 20 points at one point in the third quarter. But, you know, the one thing that Toronto had was turnovers and those missed free throws. Because, Kev, let's kind of dive into some of these stats. Just because... I know the stats will tell the entire story, but in this case, they kind of do. When we look at just the free throw issue, 18 to 36, you're shooting 50% from the free throw line. Toronto lost this game by four points. If they only made five of those 18 um, missed field, uh, if they had made five more free throws in this game to get to 23 out of 36, you win the game. Unfortunately for them, they fell short. And not only that, dude, they dominated. On the rebounding side as well. They out-rebounded the Bulls by 14 rebounds. They doubled up the uh, the Bulls 16-8 in the offensive rebound uh, rebounding category. You know, when you look at those stats and you're just kind of looking at this game from an outside-in perspective, more than likely, you're probably going to win that game. But those free throws really cost them. And you tie that in with the turnovers that the Raptors had, it left the door open for the Bulls to get back into the game. I think there was a point in time where I texted Kev saying when it comes to these double-digit leads, you can never bank on that team holding the lead just because with the way that the game was played today, double-digit leads are not safe anymore, especially when a team gets into a rhythm where they go on a 10-0 run. They're knocking down not only two-point shots, but three-point shots. Those leads can get trimmed very quick. And then Chicago was able to take full advantage of it in that fourth quarter. Like Kev said, you know, when Chicago outscores Toronto 37 to 24 in the fourth quarter. That's a big advantage for Chicago and it served them well. Um, not only that, when you look at Chicago, they only missed four three throws in this game. They were 18 to 22. So when you look at Toronto, this is going to be a tough one to look back on. I, I think the effort was there, but you, just missing those free throws, it was big. But and I know Kev mentioned it. You know, you have DeMar DeRozan's daughter is screaming at the top of her lungs try to influence the Raptors missing their free throws. I definitely think that it had an impact in this game. I think even some of the the players across the board, when they were talking about this game, after it had come to a close, they had mentioned that it was somewhat of a factor. And I think when it comes to Chicago, this was a huge road win. Um, we'll see what happens when it comes to them. They got to play the, Miami, the, uh, the Heat next to figure out who's going to get that final seed in the Eastern Conference, but it was a great comeback from the Bulls. And when it comes to Toronto, 
you had that game well in control. And unfortunately, just they just weren't able to close the door and seal the victory. So good on the Bulls, and we'll see where they can go from here. Like I said, Zach Levine just popping off was probably the most exciting thing for me, but I got to give credit. They found a way to turn around that defense. Patrick Beverly was just really up in everybody, finding ways to be pesky, some loose ball fouls, but again, just showing off that 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 presence and just making people on that Raptors team feel that he's there. He may be undersized. He may be annoying. He may not be the best offensive threat, but players like Patrick Beverly need to be respected in this league because he gives 130% every game. Mm-hmm. I know people troll him and say that he's a pest, but I respect Pat's game. I like what he brings to a team like Chicago, and it cannot be denied since he's gotten on that team, they have turned around and found a way to win games to solidify. They may be a 10 seed, but they were flirting with 12-11. They weren't exactly on the greatest skid after the All-Star break. And Pat Bev gets there. They turn it around. And he said that he really, on his podcast with Roan, he had really said, I, got it. I had to get to, to talking to Zach and DeMar and be like, y'all got to take control. Mm-hmm. And he looked at Zach and he said at one point, he told Zach, you're him, bro. I need you to shoot more. I need you to be able to take control of this offense. And in moments like this, in games like that, you can tell that conversation probably sat in Zach's head because there was a point in time where Zach went on an 11 or 12-0 run by himself yeah. in the fourth quarter. So let's acknowledge, yes, the scoring and the electricity of that game was great, but little pieces like Patrick Beverly creating turnovers and being that vocal leader in that locker room probably led to this bull success in the second half of the season. Yeah, and as far as I see it with Pat Bev, he knows his role, and he plays it as well as you can possibly play it. He knows that he's not the best player on the court, but he's going to bring some grit and intensity that opposing teams are just going to have to deal with. And Pat Pev is one of those guys you love to have in the locker room, but you hate playing against because he's just going to be a nuisance when you go up against him. He's going to be talking. He's going to get up in your grill, and you got to deal with it. If you knock down your shots, that's the best way to shut him down, but... You know, he's always going to be there. He's always going to be. I hate calling someone a pest because that's such a terrible way to describe uh, an NBA player. But what he does with his job, he plays it extremely well. And uh, it could serve them well going up against Miami. I think if Pat Bev brings that same type of energy going into Miami, I think it could definitely be an interesting game for the Bulls. I think if Zach and DeMar, if they just, if Zach plays the way that he did against Toronto, I think they have a very good shot to go on the road and and upset Miami. I think DeMar's probably going to knock down a little bit more shots, get a little bit more of a a rhythm. There were some opportunities that I thought, you know, he could have capitalized on, but, you know, we'll we'll see what happens when they go up against Miami. That uh, Miami Heat-Chicago Bowl matchup is going to be a fun one. I think they who's going to get that eight seed. Oh, for sure. But we still got one more playing tournament game. Guys, we talked about this before we were recording and late last night when this game finished. The play-in tournaments games are a success. This is a brilliant idea by the commissioner. The NBA deciding to do this was incredible because every single game, minus the Heat game, has been entertaining down to the wire, and that includes this next matchup, which was the Oklahoma City Thunder coming up with the upset over the New Orleans Pelicans. Mm -hmm. So despite the narratives we were talking about earlier with CJ McCollum and his comments, Zion Williamson not playing, this game literally came down to a potential questionable call where Brandon Ingram puts them within one and thinks that he's fouled by Lou Dort. No whistle is called. And then they turn the ball over on the next entry pass to where they can't even get a shot off to try to at least tie the game. And that's how their fate ends up going. But in terms of OKC, Kyle called it. 
the young team did not shy away from adversity. They all stepped up, and if I'm not mistaken, between three starters, they had almost a combined total of 90 points between three people. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely insane. Dort had 27, which was a season high. Giddy goes for 31, almost a triple-double. And then Shy goes for 32. So all-around great performance. But Kyle, I got to ask you, since you picked, what are your thoughts on the young team coming up and getting the upset against New Orleans? This was just a great win from the Thunder as far as I see it. The main thing that I could take away from the Thunder being the Pelicans on the road is they were poised the entire night. And, you know, when it comes to the Thunder, the Thunder are a really young team. I believe they're actually the second youngest team in the NBA just based off of average age compared to the rest of the NBA landscape. But I got to say, when it came to these pressurized moments in this game, they were able to rise to the next level and be able to execute when they needed to. When it comes to SGA, Shea was just on another level. You know, obviously dropping 32 points. He was the team leader for the Thunder. But, you know, there's one player that I got to look at. It's probably Josh Giddy. When I see Josh Giddy, Josh Giddy is just a young buck still on the come up. He single-handedly probably had the best game of his career uh, against the Pelicans. Dropped 31-10-9. and I mean, that's just insane. And not only that, I thought Lou Dort was huge for them. Not only just because of his defensive presence, but also dropping 27 points on top of that. Man, you're getting good contributions across the board when it comes to those three guys. When it comes to the Pelicans, the Pelicans definitely had some issues uh, with C.J. McCollum. And... When it comes to CJ, I have a little bit of sympathy for him simply just because he's dealing with a thumb injury. He's been dealing with a thumb injury for over three months at this point. I was watching his post-game press conference after the game went final, and he was essentially saying that this thumb injury that he was dealing with, he was supposed to get surgery on this three months ago, but he was trying to get the Pelicans into the playoffs, putting his body out there on the line try to be able to compete at a high level he just fell a little bit short as far as I saw it but I appreciate the effort uh, that he was trying to give the Pelicans to get them this win I, I mean when it comes to the Pelicans the Pelicans were in this game um, you know when, you, when I look at Brandon Ingram I thought Brandon Ingram had a solid game I thought Trey Murphy the third had a solid game they got good contributions from Jonas Valanciunas there were just certain possessions where it didn't go in New Orleans's favor and when this game is essentially dictated by two, three points, especially in these late stages of the fourth quarter, you got to be able to knock down some shots. You got to be able to knock down some free throws. There was one case in particular where Brandon Ingram had a chance to be able to close the deficit from three points to one point at the free throw line, misses first free throw, made the second one, but kind of left the door open for the Thunder to take advantage of. But, Overall, this was a fantastic game. I thought the Thunder really showed, even despite their youth, they played at a very high level. And it could serve them well going up against the uh, the Timberwolves in that last playing tournament game to dictate whoever's going to get that eighth seed in the Western Conference. Just I'm really impressed with this young Thunder team. I still believe they're a couple years away from really becoming a legitimate contender in the West. But you could tell that they're developing something in OKC. And honestly, I think Sam Presti looks like a freaking genius with the way that he's slowly but surely built this team up from the ground up. And we'll see if they can take it to the next level and potentially make the playoffs if they knock off the Timberwolves in that last playing tournament game. 
I mean, there's not really much I can say on top of that, to be honest, because obviously we, we talked about the statistical portion portion of this. We talked about the fact that Oklahoma City at one point was not necessarily the laughing stock of the league, but they weren't exactly taken very serious when they started to trade away a lot of these players like Russell Westbrook, like Paul George, and so many other people. And then you go into what they've become now, and some would say that they're maturing earlier or faster than what we thought. Like Kyle said, within the next few years, they're probably going to be a consistent playoff competitor, maybe even a finals contender, if this team can remain together and continue to develop. Josh Giddy's out here getting triple doubles left and right, and he just looks like the equivalent of a guy at LA Fitness who just plays casual basketball and finds a way to av- average damn near a triple double uh, in, in a lot of certain in a, in a lot of games that make a difference, like specific big marquee matchups. And then you have to, I can't speak English clearly. Then you have to talk about SGA. He scored, I believe, 45 times 30 or more points, which led the NBA. He is a player that was kind of mentioned in passing for the Paul George trade. Everybody obviously thinks that the Paul George trade, in terms of sending SGA and multiple picks um, to the Thunder for Paul George, they all said that Paul George and the Clippers won that trade. Obviously, teams up with Kawhi Leonard. The farthest they've gone is the Western Conference Finals. But again, the Clippers remain stagnant in that realm of kind of not being able to get past the second or third round of the playoffs, especially not being able to reach the finals. And then you have SGA over here getting better every year, averaging 30 points a game. The Thunder team is getting better. They're using their draft capital that they acquired from multiple teams like Houston, like the Clippers, and they're building this roster with Giddy. Chet Holmgren is coming back. Dort is developing. Again, this team just looks to be getting good at the right time. I'm not going to sit here and say that they are definitively going to win the playing game. They're going to beat the number one seeded uh, Nuggets if they were to get the eighth seed definitively. But again, they're not going to sit here and just roll over. This team is young. This team is inexperienced, but they're not scared. They don't fear anybody. They played the Pelicans tooth and nail all the way through. And again, the stat sheet was filled. Now on the New Orleans side, everybody contributed from the starting lineup. 30, 20, 16, 14, 21, and CJ McCollum was playing with a busted thumb. No excuse. He played through it. Got to give him credit for it. But at the end of the day, they weren't able to capitalize on the defensive end. They allowed 39 points in the third quarter, which catapulted the confidence to continue into that fourth quarter to to maintain that lead. It came down to a questionable no call. I didn't think it was a foul. It's neither here nor there. At the end of the day, they turned the ball over when they had another opportunity, and that sealed their fate. My biggest issue is the fact that Zion Williamson did not play. And that's a perfect transition into our next conversation because CJ McCollum had made some comments after the game. Kyle, if you could read that for me, that'd be great. Yeah, so you want me to just go over the quote that you sent me on Twitter earlier Mm -hmm. today? All right, so I'm just going to read verbatim the quote that Kev sent me. And this is what CJ McCollum was saying post-game. Now, depending on where you take this from a micro or a macro perspective, I'm just going to read it as is. So CJ said after the game, availability is important, man. We've got to be available. We've got to do what we need to do off the court in terms of preparation, in terms of getting treatment, in terms of getting the right sleep, the right type of hydration, having the right type of diet. Everything has to matter for us, for everybody. 1 through 15. Now, depending on how you read that, that could be a subtle dig at Zion Williamson for not playing because he didn't feel like he was mentally ready to go. Or that could just be the culture within the Pelicans itself, which, you know, two things can't be true at the same time, I guess, depending on how you read it. But I will let you guys interpret that quote from CJ how you want to. But Kev, I'm going to kick this one to you. 
what did you think about CJ McCollum's post games comments about essentially players not being available for the Pelicans when they needed it the most? I mean, you have to look at it from the situation at hand, right? Who is the biggest player on that roster? Who's the biggest name, the most paid player on the roster? Zion Williamson. Who is the guy that is never available for this team? Zion Williamson. Who is the guy that needs to take care and prepare a lot better? That includes his weight and staying healthy. Zion Williamson. Yes, that may have to do with the culture, but I think that Willie Green maintains a very good locker room. All his players, anybody that's ever talked about Willie Green, including Chris Paul, who is a very well-respected NBA player from a leadership perspective and from the NBA Players Association, have spoken volume about Willie Green, as well as Monty Williams, who also coached Willie Green when he was in the NBA. I don't necessarily think this is a cultural thing because I don't think Willie lets a lot of things slide. I'm looking at this and saying, CJ 100% is looking at Zion and saying, bro, the doctors cleared you. I'm playing with a busted shooting hand. My thumb is completely useless. It's consistently wrapped. He said it was hurting him. He's been bothering him for three months, should have had surgery, and he pushed it off. He's playing with a busted thumb. You got cleared. Yes, I am somebody that is always an advocate for mental health. I defended Ben Simmons last year when he didn't want to play in the postseason because he felt that he wasn't mentally there. People told me that, not me, people said, had said that he was going through some things that were very bad. It, it, it looked pretty bleak in terms of what he was going through, but no issues or um, no no information was disclosed within that Ben Simmons situation. So, of course, me having my own mental health issues, I had spoken out and said, you know what? If he says he's not ready to go, that's a whole different category, right? You know, you got to give him his time. But for Zion to say, I felt like I would have been able to, I wasn't able to give myself to the team. I wasn't going to be 100%. I wouldn't have fully been there. I would have been distracted. My man, even if you are 5% there, the fact that you're on the court means that the defense has to scheme for you. Even if you don't want to score, you can still get rebounds. You can still play defense. You can go out there, catch alley. I'm saying if you don't want to put your back to the basket and have the offense fed through you, there are a multitude of ways for you to contribute to a basketball team. You make the team better in transition. You make the team better in the paint. You make the team better at rebounding and so on and so on and so forth. You're an efficient basketball player. You don't need to shoot the basketball. You just need to do what you do down low, and that's dunk the basketball, finish strong, and get to the free throw line. Get people in foul trouble. I'm not asking you to score 40. I'm not even asking you to score 20. You guys lost by... Oh, of course, now I'm not going to be able to find... The, you guys lost by five points. You telling me you couldn't give me six? Zion Williamson, number one overall draft pick, biggest hype since LeBron James, been monitored since high school, since he was 14 years old. The guy that signed a $195 million contract this past offseason. The guy that's continuously up and overweight. The next sponsored athlete with Jordan, and and, and just it, it continues and goes and goes and goes, right? The biggest hype. Everybody loves Zion Williamson, but he ain't never available. We always talk about a lot of players being busts and all these other players not being available. Zion Williamson's getting up there, man. It's getting to the point now where it's like, bro, you, Greg Oden, and so many other people, just they, they can't stay healthy. Except I can't even go and look at Greg and say, you know what? He didn't give it his all. If Greg was available, I guarantee you he would have suited up. I'm not saying I know anything that Zion's going through. I'm not sitting here pretending like I have an inside scoop as to what's in his head. But when a doctor says you're good to go and your 14 other teammates look at you and say, yo, we need you, bro, you got to put that mental thing aside. You have to. You don't need to be 100% there. You need to be able to give them whatever it is that you have. That is what sports are about. You barely played all season long. 
You were consistently fluctuating between being in weight, overweight, out of weight, whatever category you want to classify it as. You weren't available. The team fell short. That's not necessarily his fault because they had opportunities to either tie or go ahead. But if you're there, this may have been a whole nother dynamic. You guys could have won easily. You guys could have lost worse. But having the best player on the team active, available, and ready to go, at least suit up to say, hey, coach, if you need me, I'll get in there. I'm not ready, but I'll be there. If you played every single game your whole career or the majority of your games and you had said, coach, I can't do it today. I might be good here, but I'm not good here. I would look at you and say, you know what? You've given me your all your whole career. You haven't been available to get an off day, bro. You ain't got no PTO. It's the playing tournament. This is to get into the playoffs. And you, and you sold. You weren't there. So, yes, I take CJ McCollum's comments 100% geared towards Zion Williamson to say, yo, I'm a vet in this league. I ain't getting younger. I'm playing through an injury. You're not hurt, and you're not playing. They got to do better. Zion Williamson is going to get traded this offseason or definitely needs to be shopped. The Pelicans need to listen to every phone call to see what they can get back for Zion Williamson because clearly he's not fit to be in New Orleans. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. I disagree with him getting traded this offseason. I, do, I don't think that's going to happen. I will say, though, when it comes to his availability, the way that he was talking about physically he was ready to go, but mentally he wasn't. Kev, I honestly don't want to hear that. Because when it comes to a physical perspective, I would say most of those guys on the Pelicans roster were dealing with some sort of injury, whether it be a bruise, a nick. In CJ McCollum's case, you've got a messed up thumb for the last three months, but he's going out there putting everything that he can despite being limited. And yet you have Zion Williamson, who's basically been out for an extended period of time now. Four and months since January. And he's ready to go physically, but he doesn't go out there because of some sort of mental thing. Honestly, I, I don't want to hear it. And, you know, as far as I see it, when it comes to Zion, I think that he's the difference maker when it comes to the Pelicans being a legitimate contender in the Western Conference. Kevin and I were talking about this a couple days ago. I specifically mentioned when it came to picking this game between the Thunder and the Pelicans, had Zion been ready to go and he played in this game, I would pick the Pelicans to win over the Thunder relatively easily. I think if Zion's in the fold, in whatever capacity they put him in, hell, they could bring him off the bench. I think the Pelicans could have won by 10 to 15 points. And, you know, after that, we'll kind of see where it goes uh, to be able to figure out if they could get the final seed in the Western Conference. But the fact that he's sitting out and not putting any sort of effort out there because he's playing it safe, I have a very hard time believing that some of those Pelican players don't have a problem with that. I think some of those guys are probably looking at Zion a little bit sideways, knowing that, dude, you're physically ready to go. Not everybody here is healthy. Everybody's kind of dealing with their own separate injuries. Granted, you know, when it comes to Zion, I understand that he's had a boatload of injuries over the course of his career. But nonetheless, you're physically ready to go and you don't go out there. I'd be I'd be shocked if some of those Pelican players weren't uh, pissed off at Zion about that. Especially CJ McCollum. Uh, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for CJ just based off of the fact that he'd been dealing with this pretty significant thumb injury. For the last three months, he'd been pushing off surgery because of it. He's probably going to get surgery within the next week or two because of it. He was 
also saying post game that he was dealing with a shoulder injury on top of that. That's why he was wearing the shoulder sleeve. So it's an unfortunate state of affairs when it comes to the Pelicans because I think I think it had Zion been available for this game and was actually out there on the court. I think the Pelicans would be playing on Friday night. But unfortunately, he didn't. And I think when it comes to Zion's future with the Pelicans, I still believe that the Pelicans are going to keep him this offseason. I I may agree with Kevin slightly about they may listen to some offers about Zion this offseason, but I don't think he's going anywhere. I, they've invested too much money into him, despite the fact that he has missed a lot of time, which is a fair point. I don't think they're ready to pull the trigger on moving on from Zion yet. So we'll see what happens with them this offseason. But I thought CJ McCollum's comments, I think he did take a subtle dig at Zion Williamson. I think maybe he was talking about just the overall culture within the Pelicans that it needs to be enhanced to be a more competitive team in the Western Conference, which I do believe is true. Uh, The Pelicans could be a far better team than what they currently are, but it's injuries, man. Injuries are just an unfortunate side of the game, but I think CJ was really kind of focusing on Zion a little bit with those post-game comments, but could also be a culture thing internally with the Pelicans as well. I'll just leave it at that. Regardless, I mean, the Pelicans are a solid team. Um, You know, they obviously had some other injuries. Jose Alvarado wasn't available as well. Zion didn't play. And, you know, it's neither here nor there when you really get into it. The point of the matter is when you're in the playoffs, playing tournament, whatever it is, or even just clinching a playoff seed, like it's the game you win, you're in, you have to have to give everything. If your teammates are hurt and they're playing and the doctors finally go like this after four months, Mm -hmm. Genuinely, I don't want to hear it. Larry Nance Jr. came out with a tweet on, on top of Skip Bayless and said, we all know what Z is going through. We're in full support of what he needs to do. We're, we're backing him up completely. So maybe not every single player is on the same page, but clearly CJ McCollum had his own thoughts to it, and he made his comments. So we'll leave it at that. We'll definitely kind of see what happens this offseason. We have seen a multitude of superstars traded throughout this year as well as in the past offseason. So if Zion were to get moved... It wouldn't be a surprise, especially with his checkered history. I mean, for God's sakes, if Rudy Gobert's getting five first-round picks to go out and punch Kyle Anderson in the face, or should I say in the chest because he missed, uh, who knows what Zion could get or what New Orleans could get for Zion. So we'll just be monitoring that going forward. But that kind of moves us into our more exciting topic. The NBA playoffs are going to be decided in terms of official seeds. The last two eight seeds will be decided tomorrow mm-hmm. after the playing games are completed. But right now, we have matchups 1 through 7 solidified, and we're going to just touch on a, f- a few here on what we think are may happen, thoughts on each series, but we're just going to kind of be brief with it. So, Kyle, what do we got? Yeah, so we'll just go over the... We'll go over the slate of games that we have at our disposal right now. Obviously, when it comes to the final seeds in both the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference games, um, it's either going to be the Thunder or the Timberwolves. Uh, coming out of the Western Conference for that A seed. And then in the Eastern Conference, it's either going to be the Heat or the Bulls to get that A seed. But we'll put those to the side right now. We'll focus on essentially the 2-7, 3-6, and 4-5 matchups in the Eastern and Western Conference as it stands right now. So, Kev, get this one to you. How do you think these first-round playoff matches are going to go up in the Eastern and Western Conference? I think they're going to be very competitive. I mean, obviously, the 2-7 matchups, for the most part, when you look at who they're facing, right? You got the Boston Celtics going up against the Atlanta Hawks, 
And then, of course, you got the LA Lakers going up against the Grizzlies. Personally and honestly, depending on how the Lakers come out in the first game, I believe that the Lakers could upset Memphis. But with everything Memphis has gone through, I wouldn't be surprised if they carry that. So I'll take the Grizzlies in that one. Going back to the Hawks and Celtics, I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are too good. I think Atlanta had not a uh, a fluke game, but... I don't have enough faith in them to go and beat a Celtics team that is looking to get back into the finals. So I'll take the Celtics comfortably in that. Then you go into the 3-6 seed in both sides. So you get the Nets and the Sixers, Warriors and the Kings. In the Nets and Sixers game, I don't think the Nets have enough. I think the Sixers are finally going to shake that narrative. Joel Embiid's having an MVP season. James Harden's playing well. Tyrese Maxey has emerged to be the third option there. I really do think that Philadelphia can find a way to weather the storm and just, like I said, break that narrative of struggling in the postseason. Not to say that the Nets haven't done very well since making the trades to get rid of Kyrie and KD. Mikael Bridges has played exceptionally well. I just don't think that they're going to have enough to go and beat a strong Sixers team. Then you go into, like I said, the Warriors and the Kings. It's all about two narratives here for the Warriors. Can their experience carry them through, and can they find a way to win on the road? I think the Warriors find a way to upset just because they've been in this matchup before. They've been the underdogs a multitude of times, not to mention the Warriors have quite literally won every single first-round matchup since their dynasty has started. I don't think Steve Kerr has lost a single Western Conference game in his tenure as a uh, NBA head coach in the playoffs in terms of a series, not game, excuse me. So I think they're going to find a way to upset the Kings. I think it'll go probably six or seven just because the Warriors, again, they cannot find ways to win on the road consistently. So I'll take the Warriors in seven. And then finally, the most exciting matchups to me in both conferences, the four and the five seed. You got the New York Knicks, Cleveland Cavaliers, LA Clippers, Phoenix Suns, You got Jalen Brunson versus Donovan Mitchell, and then you got Kawhi Leonard versus Kevin Durant. Two marquee matchups right there. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell has been here before. Donovan Mitchell has been the leader of multiple playoff teams. He always thrives. He averages over 30 points per game in his playoff career. I would expect the Cleveland Cavaliers to just barely, and I mean barely, edge off the Knicks in six. I think, truthfully, the Knicks are there, but... They've had some spurts where they kind of disappear. R.J. Barrett hasn't performed well. Mitchell Robinson has been unavailable multiple times. So if they can stay healthy, it'll maybe go to seven. But I just have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland pulling that in six. And then the Clippers and the Suns one, that I can see going seven games. We don't know when Paul George is going to be available, if he's even going to be ready to come back in this round. If this were to go seven games, I wouldn't be surprised. Again, I'm looking at Kawhi versus KD. And then obviously Devin Booker is going to have to carry the team on the second side in terms of the second person to score. And then, of course, you have Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, and a list of other players. But I'm going to go with Phoenix winning in seven. I just think this is going to be a crazy game going back and forth. They Both Kawhi and KD are probably going to average somewhere between 25 and 30 points per game this series. It's just, who's going who's gonna to turn the ball over more? Chris Paul, we all know, is the point god. Always gets injured in the playoffs. So if he can stay healthy, if he can find a way to lead this team and distribute the ball and not turn it over, I think Phoenix can carry this and actually make a, be- a pretty decent postseason run. But for this round, for this particular series, I'm going to take Phoenix in seven. Hey, Kev, when it comes to me, I'm just going to go over the the same matchups that you went in order that you did. I'm going to start with the Grizzlies and the Lakers. When I look at that 2-7 matchup, granted, I am a Lakers fan. I'm going to try to be objective here. I am going to pick the Grizzlies in this one. I just believe that youth and the grit that the Grizzlies have at their disposal, I think it's going to be too much for the Lakers to handle. I do believe this series has a potential to go six, seven games, but I think the Grizzlies are just too well-rounded of a team, and I think they're going to move on to the second round. 
when it comes to the Celtics and the Hawks, Kev, I'm with you 100%. I'm going with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown all day in this matchup. I just don't believe that Trey Young and DeJounte Murray are going to be able to overcome the firepower that the Celtics have as a cohesive unit. I think the Celtics could potentially wrap this series up in five games. More than likely, it might go six, but I think the Celtics win this one handily and they'll move on to the second round. After that, we'll go into the 76ers and Nets matchup. This is going to be just a continuing path, you guys. I do believe that the 76ers will win this series over the Nets. Uh, I love the fact that Mikhail Bridges has been playing absolutely on fire since being traded from Phoenix. But when it comes to the depth that the 76ers have with Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, these dudes are going to be ridiculous. Also, James Harden as well. I almost forgot him for a second. But it's just that the 76ers have a really a deep roster to work with right now. And I think it's going to be too much for the Nets to handle. I think the 76ers win this one probably around five, six games. I'd be surprised if it, this one really goes seven. The 76ers are just too stacked as far as I see it. Then when it goes to the Kings and the Warriors matchup, this is going to be a very fun series as far as I see it. This is basically, you could say the new guard potentially coming in with the Kings. The Kings are a very good team this year. They have finally shaken off the, the narrative of, missing the playoffs for essentially the last 15 to 20 years. I think this is the first time they've been in the playoffs in 17 years. De'Aaron Fox has been absolutely unbelievable. Sabonis right along with him. When it comes to the Warriors, you know, this is where the dynasty part comes in. Can they be able to continue this dynasty? Can they keep it afloat against a younger, more inexperienced playoff team when it comes to the Kings? I'm going to be bold here. I'm going to say the Warriors are going to win this series. I think they're going to upset the Kings. I think the Kings... They are moving in the right direction, but I'm going with the playoff experience here. And I do believe one of the things that Kevin brought up, if the Warriors win some road games in this series, I think it's going to tilt the series in their favor. And also on top of that, Andrew Wiggins will be available for them in this series. Whatever sort of capacity they put them in, don't know yet. More than likely, he's going to come off the bench. But I think if he can come off the bench, get 20 to 25 minutes, I think it's going to be huge for the Warriors because they've definitely missed his presence uh, since he's been out for an extended period of time. After that, we kick it to the four and five series. These are going to be very fun matchups as far as I see it. I think the Cavs and Knicks series is going to be a fun one. The same goes with the Suns and the Clippers. The focus on the Cavs and Knicks one. I'm going to agree with Kev. I'm going to go with the Cavs on this one. I just believe that the dynamic duo of Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, you could throw Jared Allen in there as well. I think it's going to be too much for the Knicks to handle. I do think that the Knicks could potentially push this series to seven games because I got to respect Julius Randle. Emmanuel quickly has been on an absolute tear throughout stretches this year. I'm not going to disrespect what the Knicks have done this year. They've been a pretty solid team this year, but I think the Cavs are just going to edge out the Knicks. But that's going to be a very fun series uh, when I see that series play out. And then when it comes to the Suns and the Clippers, I'm actually going to be a little bit more uh, bold when it comes to this series. I do believe the Suns will win this one actually fairly convincingly. I think the Suns have a potential to win this series five to six games. Does it have the potential to go to seven? Yes, but I do think that the Suns, just from a roster construction perspective, I think they're just too deep to deal with for the Clippers. You know, when it comes to Paul George's status, we'll see. We'll see whatever sort of capacity that he could play in if he's available. But when it comes to the Suns, you got Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton to deal with. That is going to be too much for the Clippers to handle as far as I see it. And I think the Suns advance to the second round of the playoffs. So in those two, seven, three, six, and four, five matchups, that's how I have it playing out in both the Eastern and the Western Conference.
I will say um, the depth of the Clippers is pretty convincing. I mean, you have to talk about Russell Westbrook being available there. Terrence Mann has played very well as, uh, at, at the same time. Um, Zubac has always been somebody you can rely on to get you boards and sometimes even a double-double. So uh, I, I will just make a counterpoint to my partner. I think that the Clippers are deeper than the uh, Clip. I think the Clippers are deeper than the Suns. I just think without Paul George, that second option of who's going to be the focal point and leader outside of Kawhi Leonard if he has an off night, if you're putting that solely in the hands of Russell Westbrook, I'm going to lead a lot more in the hands of players that can shoot like KD, like Devin Booker, obviously like Chris Paul, who's a mid-range god at this point. Um, if you're really looking at it, I probably would say Kawhi Leonard is the best player without a doubt. But the second best, if it is in fact, like I said, Russell Westbrook, it's going to be pretty difficult for them to get some shots off. And if you're leaving Russell open, which is the strategy for a lot of NBA teams, just giving him space to shoot, if Russ gets in his head and he misses the first couple, the Clippers may be in for a long night because obviously at that point, if Kawhi Leonard is the only other person you can rely on to make some jump shots, it's going to be a pretty, like I said, a pretty long night. I think the way that I look at it is I thought the Suns had a pretty good finish to the end of the season outside of the last two games. I mean, there was a stretch where they won nine out of their last 10 games, I believe. Not the last 10. I'm disregarding the last two because I think at that point they had already had the fourth seed clinched at that point. They weren't going to be able to move up or down uh, just because the Kings had already clinched that three seed. But, you know, when it comes to the firepower, I'm looking at it from that perspective. That's where I think that's where I think the difference is. I forgot they have Eric Gordon, too. So it's just, you know, when it comes to the firepower that the Suns have compared to the uh, compared to the Clippers, that's where I think that the advantage is going to come in. Granted, you know, I think Russ has been pretty solid for, for the Clippers, the Clippers. Oh, yeah. since, since uh, moving literally from locker room to locker room uh, with that change of scenery. I, I know he went to Utah first and then went to uh, yeah, and then went to the Clippers. But I mean, I, I, honestly, I don't think he, he, didn't, left really, LA. he didn't suit up for Utah. Yeah, so yeah, he, I don't even think he ever left LA. But nonetheless, I think that's going to be. Um, I think it's going to be a fun series. Nonetheless, I I do think that the Suns are going to. They have a chance to win that one in five, but I think more than likely, I think they'll probably win it in six. It, it really kind of depends on Paul George's status uh, in that series. If he could be able to be effective in whatever sort of capacity, if he does play, I think it could serve them well. Okay, if there's just one thing that we do have to go over, um, let's not make it too long. We'll just focus on these last playing tournament games. And honestly, when it comes to... Uh, we'll start with the Eastern Conference one first. We'll start with the... Um, let me just pull up the matchups here. Uh, we got the Heat... And the Bulls, obviously the Heat are home for this game. This one doesn't have to really be long um, as far as how you see this game playing out. But when it comes to the Heat going against the Bulls in the final playing tournament game in the Eastern Conference, who do you think is going to win and why? I'm going to go with Chicago. I think Chicago has the momentum. I think Chicago gained a lot of confidence being able to come back from a large deficit. I also think that Zach Levine gained a lot of confidence in this postseason matchup or play-in matchup style game. Um, I think that their defense found a way to make adjustments in the second half. DeMar DeRose will not have another inefficient night the way that he did. And if Alex Caruso can contribute, Nikola Vucevic can find a way to get back to the glass and, and really out-rebound Miami like they were the other night. Um, I just really believe that Chicago could find a way to sneak into the playoffs as that eight seed. And when it comes to me, I'm with him. I'm with Kev on this one as well. I just believe that momentum that Chicago got from that huge comeback win in Toronto is going to serve them well. I think if Zach Levine plays in any way, shape, or form like he did against Toronto going into Miami. I think Miami's going to have a very difficult time dealing 
with Zach one-on-one. And not only that, I think DeMar DeRozan can look back at that game, could probably make a little bit of an improvement going into this Miami game. I think if he's able to get some space in those mid-range shots that he loves taking, I think that he could go out there and give them a 25, maybe even a 30-point performance. You know, somebody that I could look at when it comes to the Bulls as well is maybe if they get some good minutes from Patrick Williams, if Pat Bev brings that intensity that he always does, I think it could favor the Bulls pretty significantly in this game. I think when it comes to the Heat, the Heat have to shake off that Hawks game quick, fast, and in a hurry. Um, They didn't get the best game from Jimmy Butler. Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero definitely stepped up as far as I saw it. But they're going to definitely need to see playoff Jimmy that they have been accustomed to over the last couple of years for them to have a shot in this game. If Jimmy has a similar type of performance in this upcoming game against the Bulls like he did uh, in the Hawks game, I think even though the Heat are home, I think they will miss the playoffs entirely and the Bulls would get that final spot in the Eastern Conference as the A seed, which means they will go up against the Bucks. But that's how I see this game playing out. And then obviously you got the Western Conference matchup. You have the Minnesota Timberwolves hosting the Oklahoma City Thunder. Minnesota struggled. They shot well from the field throughout the majority of that game against the Lakers, but that fourth quarter was abysmal and they only scored 12 points. On the other hand, obviously Oklahoma City popped off, did what they needed to do. They're the youngest team in the playoffs. So Kyle, give me who you think is going to come out between that uh, that 8 and 10 seed matchup. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm actually going to go with the Thunder. I'm going with these young guns. Uh, They really impressed me against the New Orleans Pelicans going on the road and getting a very close win. Um, It really showed, even though that they're young, they have a lot of poise to work with, or just the poise that they showed was something to behold as far as I saw. I think when it comes to this Timberwolves matchup that they have on Friday night, it's going to be a tough one as far as I see it. Um, I, I do believe that SGA is going to have to have a very similar performance like he did against the Pelicans. He's going to have to put up probably somewhere around 30 to 35 points. If Lou Dort just continues what he did in the last game against the Pelicans, I think that could definitely improve uh, Oklahoma City's chances to win this game. If I don't think Josh Giddey is going to have the same type of performance uh, that he had against the Pelicans in this Timberwolves game. Uh, we'll see whether or not that Rudy Gobert is going to play in this playing tournament game. I don't know what his status is at this point. It's it's Thursday, so things could change uh, in the lead-up to uh, the Friday night matchup. But I think if Josh Giddy goes out there, puts him around 20, 25 points, I think uh, it will put the Thunder in an advantageous spot. They will need to get a little bit more production from some of their role players. Jalen Williams had a so-so game. Well, they have two Jalen Williams. Uh, on this roster, they have the same name. It's just spelled differently. But I think if both of these Jalen's can step up and do a little bit better than they did in the Pelicans game, I think it will serve them well. When it comes to the Timberwolves, even though the, I thought that they had a pretty good game against the Lakers in their first playing tournament game, they fell apart in the fourth quarter. They technically would have only scored nine points in that fourth quarter had Anthony Davis not gotten that foul to send Mike Conley to the free throw line at the end of the game. So they're going to have to find a way to improve their fourth quarter efficiency on the offensive side. And we'll see what happens with Rudy Gobert. Obviously, the biggest thing with him is that he got into a scrap with Kyle Anderson a couple of days ago in the last game of the regular season. And we'll see if they'll be able to mend some fences going into this game. They won't have Jaden McDaniels. He's out with a fractured hand. Anthony Edwards is going to have to step up and drop probably 30, 35 points for the Timberwolves to be competitive in this game. 
This is going to be a very fun game as far as I see it, but I do think the Thunder are going to edge out the Timberwolves on the road and they will get the A seed in the Western Conference. I'm in full agreement. I have the Oklahoma City Thunder winning this game as well. However, I am reading a report. As of four hours ago, Coach Finch said that Gobert has been dealing with back spasms and his status for Friday's game versus the Thunder is uncertain. Currently, they have him listed as doubtful. Back spasms, Rudy Gobert being a bad teammate. I, I, whatever they want to call it, if Rudy Gobert doesn't play, this game is definitely not going to be close. I don't see Minnesota shooting the way that they did in the first three quarters like they did against the Lakers. I don't think Anthony Edwards is 100%. They're saying that he's been dealing with a shoulder injury, so he may be completely off. And I don't see Mike Conley popping off for 20-plus points again. So I'm definitely going to go and rely on SGA to go out there and do what he needs to do. I also agree with Kyle. I don't necessarily think that Giddy is going to have 30-10-10 or 39-10, whatever it is that he had. But he can easily provide you... 15, 10, and 10. He can give you 29 and 5. I mean, he is a consistent stat filler. He is somebody that plays. He hustles. He's young. He rebounds and he defends very well. So, again, I definitely see Giddy coming out there and providing a somewhat similar game, but just not as a highly scoring, highly efficient game as he did this previous one. But overall, I got OKC with the upset. I think that they got momentum and showed that they can do this. They can play well. And since they're playing against a team that is missing a few of their key players and obviously dealing with injuries on another player, um, I think they'll take advantage of the situation. And SGA is going to go for another 30-plus points. But they will be the eighth seed, and they will be facing the number one seed in Denver Nuggets to come this weekend. It's going to be very exciting this weekend. Obviously, these last playing tournament games are going to get played Friday night, and then we dive straight into the playoffs Saturday night. So it's going to be fun. Actually, I haven't looked at the times yet. Maybe even the playoff games start on Saturday afternoon. Um, I'd have to check the uh, the times when I get a chance. But overall, it's going to be a lot of NBA content from here on out, you guys. So definitely buckle up and get your popcorn ready. we got one more topic to get to. It's going to kick it to the MLB for a little bit. And we're going to focus on the Tampa Bay Rays. When it comes to the Rays, the Rays have had an absolutely historic start uh, to start off the year. They are currently sitting at 13-0. They have won all of their games. They are still undefeated. They are the only undefeated team left in the MLB. I believe this is tied for the greatest start that any professional baseball team has had. I believe since, what, 1885? So you have to go back over 100 years to see something like this. It's been absolutely incredible for what the Rays have been able to do. So, Kev, I'm just going to kick this one to you. How impressed are you with this winning streak that the Rays have been on lately? Uh, obviously, as, as a baseball fan, this hasn't been done in damn near 200 years, right? Obviously, I'm exaggerating. He said 1885. I'm just saying it's been well over 100. And, I mean, to be undefeated, to capitalize in these games, find ways to get it done. And I'm looking at the stat sheet here. Other than against the Red Sox, none of these games have been close. Starting from the beginning, 4-0-12-2-5-1-6-2-10-6-7-2-9-5-11-0-11-0-1-0, oh, which was that close one against the Sox, 7-2, then 9-7 against the Sox again, and then 9-3. So they're not just winning, they're dominating their opponents. Outside of those two outliers, again, against the Red Sox, they have just been pummeling opposing pitching, and their pitching staff has been just... I think the most runs they gave up here on this slate was seven, which was against the Red Sox. But they've been doing a phenomenal job. Defensively, offensively, you can make you can say right now they're the perfect team. However, this has also got to be realistic here. The people they have played, none of their records are above 500. And every single one of these teams was at the bottom of their division, respectively, last season. The Detroit Tigers, the Washington Nationals, the Oakland Athletics, and the Boston Red Sox. 
They're not good baseball teams. I'm not taking away from the win streak. I'm not being salty. I'm just letting people know from an overall standpoint, they're not playing good competition. And the Tampa Bay Rays were a playoff team last year, and they have been for the last few years. And they have been known to play very well overall because they've just they've been together. This group has been together for a few seasons. They've seen the consistency that they can provide towards the latter half, end of the season, into the playoffs, and make some decent runs into deeper rounds. But... When you look at their overall matchups, Toronto is going to be tomorrow, the next games, the next series that they have against the Toronto Blue Jays. That's the first team that's above 500 that they will have played all season long. I'm just saying, it's not a coincidence that the Tigers are like two and nine, the Nationals are like three and eight. You know what I'm saying? Like they are just bad baseball teams, but it takes a lot to win. They're not winning again by a little bit. They're not scraping by. They are doing it in a dominant fashion. So 100%, I give them their kudos. This is a, a, a feat that has not been met, like I said, over 100 years. But to say that they are the most dominant team in baseball when they haven't necessarily played the biggest competition, a little bit of a skewed opinion. But again, I will give them their credit, pay them their dues. This is something that hasn't been done. And they're chasing history right now. If they beat Toronto... They will have the MLB record for the most consecutive games to start a season at an undefeated streak. So kudos to the Rays. Let's just see if they can keep it going against real competition. And Kev, the only other point that I'm going to add is this is the beginning of the year. And when it comes to how teams start in April, you know, we could reflect on it when we get to August and September, but it's not how you start as far as I see. It's how you finish. And granted, you know, the race could be on an absolutely historic pace. I, I don't want to, like, belabor that point. I don't want to miss that point entirely. A 13-game win streak to start off the MLB season. You can't ask for anything more. But when it comes to the race, they have to find ways to be able to maintain this level of consistency. I'm not saying where they have to win every single game. But if they can keep up winning the majority of their series from here on out, I think it's going to serve them well. And... I mean, as far as I see it, you know, for them to get four series sweeps already, that's pretty impressive. But like I said, it's early still. We're not even three full weeks into April yet. And just because that they're 13-0 right now, it doesn't mean that they're going to just keep this momentum all the way through the season. They're going to go through ups and downs throughout this regular season. And I will say, though, if they're able to get what, this 14th win in a row to have the best start in MLB history? I mean, I got to say, kudos to them, dude. 100% because hats off. Never, it's history. I, I have never, honestly, I, I've never seen a team in my lifetime start out this hot. No. I think I think maybe you might have a team that wins like seven or eight games to start off the year, but 13, when you hit double digits to start off the year, it is really a tip of the cap to them. The only thing that as far as I see it is, can they be able to continue this consistency and just winning the majority of their series for at least the next month or two. If they're able to do that, I think it's going to set them up nicely as we transition into the summer months. Because, you know, when it comes to April, teams are still figuring it out. You know, and look, it's 162 games. You know, when it comes to the MLB season, it is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And granted, I got to say, out the gate, the Rays are doing it better compared to everybody else. So, you know, tip to the cap to them, 13 games in a row winning that's a huge mark for them but like i said i think uh it's not how you start it's how you finish absolutely but guys that's gonna wrap it up 
Um, we talked about a lot. Obviously, everything's going to be focalized in the NBA. Thankfully, Kyle was able to get off work early, so we are able to record a little bit easier. We're not stressing it's for nice. sleep. We're <laughs> we're not rushing the to finish to out. get to bed. The sun's still yeah, out. Yeah, the sun, the sun is in fact still out. This is pretty well. Sorry, I have a curtain. But wow, I'm an idiot. I literally just pointed to another window for getting this one behind me. Anyway, I've lost all focus at this point, and uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about throughout the next coming weeks. The NHL playoffs begin. Baseball's in full swing. The NBA playoffs have begun. It's going to be a fun time for the next few months. So kind of tune in. We're going to keep you guys updated everywhere, every step of the way. Uh, we appreciate the support where, wherever we've had it. TikTok, YouTube, audio. It, it's just genuinely appreciated. And uh, Kyle, let's just take it on home, brother. Like Kev said, uh, once again, thank you guys for tuning in. I, I say it every time. I sound like a broken record at this point. But if you guys were listening to us on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube, we definitely appreciate the support. Like I said, definitely stay tuned for what we got with the NBA playoffs. It's going to be fun for the next two months from here on out until we reach the end of the NBA finals. And like Kev said, we got the NHL playoffs starting as well. It's going to be a lot of fun around here. We hope that you guys uh, enjoy the ride with us. So with that said, once again, thank you guys for tuning in and we will see you guys next week. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.